Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. Is that question, describe God in one word from your past summer, for probably half the people in this room, that's probably the most serious question that you will ask somebody or be asked for the rest of this year. You know how sad that is? You want to know why? It's because we've lost the art of asking questions. Come on, Pastor Victor, give me another amen. We've lost the art of asking questions. So this is what I want to place before you at the beginning of the school year. How many of you started school yet? How many of you start school? All the District 49 people. I'm so sorry to be you. How many of you start school next week? Ah, here comes all the District 20 people. All right. Here's what I want you to do. Look at me. I want to challenge you. The beginning of this school year, learn and practice the art of asking questions. Asking questions. This is what I mean by that. Maybe go home every night. Beginning of the week, come up with five questions that you can ask a stranger. If you cannot come up with five, I just gave you five. I just gave you five. Something simple. Do you play any sports? What do you like to do for fun? I was, I was greeting with Blake at the front uh, entryway over me. I just met Blake tonight. He's a junior, going to be a junior at the Classical Academy. We got any other TCA people in here? Yes, good for all of you. You have to still wear a uniform. Stinks to be you. Okay. So I'm standing out there with Blake and I was like, all right, Blake, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna welcome some people. Here's how you welcome people. You walk in, you say, hey, ladies, hey, fellas, good to see you. You comment on something that they're holding or that they're wearing. How many of you have had that moment with me where you walk in and I comment on what you're wearing or what you're holding? Yeah, I got you. I got you. This is the art of just breaking the ice. But you know how rare it is for somebody to walk in the door be looked in the eyes and say, how are you doing today? We're going to talk about the person, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit tonight. And most of the time when we think about the person, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit, we're thinking of these signs and wonders that are taking place when miracles are happening. We're going to read the book of Acts. We're like tongues of fire are taking place and people start speaking different languages and God starts like rattling prison doors and like doing all of these incredible things. And when we think of the power and the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, we think of like all of these things. But you know what is the work of the Holy Spirit? You having the courage and the faith to look someone in the eye and say, how are you doing today? Being the hands, the feet of Jesus. I want, to, I want to teach you the art this year of asking questions. So can we learn together this year on how to ask one another, how are we doing? Yes or no? Yes. yes. All right, if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter one, I want you to open up there. If you don't know where Acts is, go to the New Testament. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. And then the book of Acts. Give you a little context before we open up and read. We're going to be in chapter 1, verse 1. A little context here. This is actually part 2 of the book of Luke. The person who wrote 
the book of Acts is the same person who wrote the book of Luke. This was meant to be kind of a part two of the book of Luke. So to read Acts by itself kind of doesn't make sense. The author wants you to first read the account of the life of Jesus Christ and say, okay, this is who this man was. This was his life. This was his ministry. This was his death. This was his resurrection. Now what is taking place? Then he goes in to the book of Acts. So these are meant to be read in light of one another. This is, this is very, very similar to like going and watching Revenge of the Sith without seeing Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones. I'm using Star Wars analogies because we are watching Star Wars right now in my home, okay? I do it every year. Don't judge me, right? But this is what happens. You're like, who's Anakin? Who's Obi-Wan? What's taking place right now? Who's this little green guy? Like, what's going on? And this is what Luke said, no, no, no. Before you read this account, you have to know who this person Jesus is. You have to know who this person Jesus is. Otherwise, all the work that we're going to see that the Holy Spirit is doing in the books, book of Acts has no foundation. We don't know. Wait, wait, wait. What, what is the Holy Spirit trying to bring glory to, trying to point to, trying to get the people, the church to understand? If we don't know Jesus, it makes no sense. So this is part two of the book of Luke. But if we're going to actually take scripture as the authoritative word of God, this is actually then... Both of these books, like being read in light of the entire grand redemptive narrative all the way back to Genesis. This idea that, okay, wait a minute, the whole story of creation from the beginning of time, from before the beginning of time, till now, till the end of time, until after the end of time is part of God's story. And so when we read the book of Acts, we have to understand, okay, this is, this is the timeline for which this is taking place, but we have to also realize the implications of this book. Tonight, I want to talk to you about something very, very simple. And that's this. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. What do we mean by that when we talk about the Holy Spirit? Before I get there, let's read. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So that first book, he's talking about the book of Luke. Until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit. Everyone say Holy Spirit. If you have a physical Bible with you and you're going to be walking with me over the next eight weeks, I want you to underline that person, Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So what he's saying here is he's saying, look, do you remember the writings that I just gave to you about the account of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, and how he rose? And for 40 days, he presented himself alive after his death, making clear that the resurrection was an actual thing to those who believe. And he was speaking about the kingdom of God, verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water. This is Jesus talking now. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Everyone say Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, Jesus speaking, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, everyone say Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. I want you to underline that word if you got your Bible, witnesses. Witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Brothers and sisters, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Oh, Jesus, we love you. God, I'm so fired up. I'm so excited. I can't contain it. The fact that your Holy Spirit is present here with us now just blows my mind. Blows my mind. The fact that the person, the power, the presence of yourself is here right now and it has the ability to make dead things alive, broken things whole, setting the lonely into family, setting the depressed free. Like it, it, it makes me so excited. So God, I pray that you would help me, my brothers and my sisters, fix eyes on you right now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would ready our hearts for all that you have for us at the beginning of this school year, whether it's the ninth grade, the 10th grade, the 11th grade, or the 12th grade, or you're about to commission some of these to college, wherever we sit in this room. Father, I pray you would give us the, the faith to entrust this year to you and to say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to know you. We want to see you. Would you make yourself plain to us tonight? Would you show us the work that you are accomplishing even now in the world in your precious and holy name? And if you agree with me tonight, can you say amen? Amen. Back in 1956, there was a man by the name of Jim Elliott with four other missionaries. And he had a heart to bring the message of the gospel to a very remote and savage tribe in Ecuador. And so he, he hopped in a plane with, with his uh, four other missionary friends and they, they kind of flew this island and they had a speaker outside their plane and, and they began to, to try to speak in the language of the people were friends, we're here to connect with you. They dropped gifts out of the plane to connect with these people. And after five days, they finally came and they brought the plane into landing, got out and they were met by two ladies and a gentleman from the tribe. And, and they began to give them gifts. And they kind of had this, this model of, of their plane. And, and, and the, 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 the tribesman, the, the, the young man looking at the plane, he was very fascinated by the plane. So they took him up and they, they gave him a ride in the plane. And, and as he was up in the plane, he saw other tribes as he was in the plane. As he was screaming to them, telling them hello. And, and they came back down and all seemed like it was going really, really well. They finally had the opportunity to kind of speak the message of the good news to this tribe. And yet on January 8th, 1956, we see this kind of nasty turn take where these five men are, are, are by the river, by their plane. The tribe comes in and brutally murders all five of them, spears them to death, cuts them up to pieces. Four of the bodies were found. One of the bodies was washed away, never seen from again. Five years later, the wives of, of these, these uh, missionaries go into this same village and connect with this same tribe. And the chief of the tribe sitting there, very confused. He's going, what are you guys doing? He, they were giving them these clothes. They were giving them kind of all of these resources. And they, they were a little bit more accustomed to, to hearing from them. And they go, why are you here? Why are you doing this? The wife of Jim Elliott looked at the chief and said, you killed my husband five years ago. 
And I'm here because my husband wanted you to know the good news of Jesus Christ. That chief and the tribe gave their lives to Jesus. That chief got to come and he got to give a speech on one of Billy Graham's crusades and said it was because of these five men willing to give of their lives and die that I know that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is what we might come to call a martyr today. Somebody who's, who's going to give of their life for the faith. There's a story that my pastor told me seven years ago of a young man. He was an, athe- an atheist, didn't believe in God. He had many friends who had been continuing to try to tell him this good news and tell him, look, God loves you. He's for you. He wants your life. And he goes, no, I'm sorry. I don't want to believe it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. This man, he was a collegiate diver, high diver to be more specific. He liked to go in early in the mornings. He'd get on the dive and he'd dive for about 30 minutes to an hour before the day started. And his friends had continued to try to push, push and tell him like there's something about this Jesus that you gotta know, that he's willing to lay his life down for you, that he, that he loves you. And, and he'd go, no, I don't wanna hear it. I don't wanna hear it. I don't wanna hear it. One morning, early morning, he goes into the pool to go start an early morning high dive. And he walks into the pool and the lights are off. And that's not too abnormal He's, had, he's done it before. He's, di- he's dived with the lights off because there was, there was light coming in from the windows above. And so he's done it before. All he needs to know is be able to have a reference point for the pool. So he goes and he, he, he gets in his swimsuit. He climbs up to the high dive. He goes to stand on top of the dive. And right before he takes the jump, he puts his arms out to set himself. Right before he takes the leap. And as he looks down, he sees a shadow from the light in the window above him shining down. And his body made out the picture of a cross and something hit him in this moment where he broke to his knees. He fell down at the top of this high dive and just began to weep saying, surely there has to be something about this God who would lay his life down for me. And in a moment of him weeping, the lights turned on, the custodian, the janitor had showed up. The lights turned on, he looks down and the pool was empty. It had been drained to clean. His life was saved that morning. He sat there, overwhelmed by the goodness of God, thankful that he had friends willing to share this good news. I was talking to my man, Braden Cheesby, tonight before service. He came up to me and he said, Pastor Tim, I got to tell you something. I got to tell you this testimony. I go, bro, share it. He goes, hey, a desperation conference. Second day, in the afternoon prayer session, we were sitting there praying, we were interceding, and, and we had that moment in the session where, where we began to pray for healing. We began to pray for, for, for people all over the spectrum, people who had headaches and people who had, who had ankle pain, people who had back pain. Like we, we started praying this from the stage, and, and he said, I've had debilitating back pain for like the last three to four years. I wake up every day, I'm in so much pain. It got to get, it's gotten to the point where it's, it's difficult for me to go to sleep at night. I'm losing sleep. And he said, the second it was said from the stage, in this moment, somebody who's got back pain in here, in the name of Jesus, you are healed. He said the back pain left and he hasn't felt it since. Catherine talked about this man, Micah E. Walker, Green Beret, whose funeral we officiated here yesterday at New Life Church. 
I had the privilege of knowing this man since I was a junior high kid. I was a sixth grader, worshiping right over here in this corner. I'd have Pastor John Egan up here leading worship. And this kid, Micah E. Walker, there was something about him that you just knew he had been captivated by the love of Jesus. Something about him. It's like, it's just different the way that he lives. And, and there was this, this hunger, this thirst just for life and to tell people about this God who had touched his life. And, and I, would, I would do all of these things. I, I, would, I would go on, the, we, we would do these fasting retreats where we'd go for a night and for a whole day and we wouldn't eat food. And it would be terrible because I was already 60 pounds. I didn't need to get any lighter. And we'd go and we'd fast for a day and I'd be hurting in my stomach. And I would, I would be a little sixth grader just like on my knees, like I can't do this anymore. Looking at a 17, year old high schooler like him and he would be looking at me as, as a junior in high school going, Tim, we can do this. We can do this. Jesus, he's worth it. He's worth any bit of pain that you're going to feel right now. He's worth every lack of energy that you're experiencing right now. Just keep eyes on him. Let's keep praying with one another. Let's keep worshiping together. I got to watch him be a leader in this youth group. Something so inspirational about him. You just knew he was going to be a missionary. Sure enough, he would. He'd go to South Africa. He'd spend five years in the mission field telling people about the love of Jesus, living with orphans and widows and telling them about a God who loves them and cares for them. Joining the military, becoming a Green Beret, like special forces. Like this is, this is a life where you actually have to like sacrifice and lay your life down for what you're having. Like your family pays for it. Your physical body pays for it. And for him to, as Catherine was just saying, they'd be at basic, they'd be at, they'd be at the Q course and it'd be past curfew and He'd be up in the barracks starting the first week with two, three other guys reading the Bible in the corner of the barracks, past curfew. And one of his comrades yesterday said it got to the point several weeks later, there were like 18, 19 guys, special forces training, reading the Bible, engaging with scripture, talking about this Jesus. Why? Because there was one man who just had a vibrant, uncontrollable love for this God. He lost his life. And yet, hundreds, if not thousands, have come to know about this person named Jesus. Why am I telling you all this? What connects all of these stories? I want to suggest to you that there is, there is an odd temptation with the church today to believe that the story of our faith has been exclusively confined to these pages. And the reason why I tell you all of these stories right now is because the book of Acts, this, this moment where Jesus is going, I am going to send you the Holy Spirit. He is going to come upon you and he is going to give you the power and the presence to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth period. What connects all of these stories? The reality is, is that God's story has not simply ended in here. It is still being written right now with you, with me, with his people. This is why the Holy Spirit is so important. This is why the Holy Spirit's so important because 
we still have this message to bring to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. You know, it's very fascinating. We talk about the story about Jim Elliot, the missionaries who gave their life. And when we think of martyr, that's what we think of. Somebody who gives their life for a specific cause or for the Christian realm, somebody who gives their life for the name of Jesus. But you know what's fascinating is that in the Greek, the word for martyr is the exact same word for witness. The same word for martyr is the exact same word for witness. In other words, what Jesus is saying right here is he's going, if you're gonna follow me, it's going to mean giving of your life, period. Is what I mean by that. There are gonna be some, there are gonna be some who are going to be put on an execution reality where they are literally going to have to give up their physical life and pass into physical death because of the name of Jesus Christ. But for everyone who calls Jesus Christ Lord, what he is saying right here is you are going to have to give your life for me. Now all of a sudden Luke's words, when he said, look, Jesus looked at his followers and he said, look, if, if any of you are gonna follow me, you are going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. There's a cross that comes with Christianity. There is a giving of our life that comes with following Jesus. And it's not just for the missionaries who are gonna go die with some rural tribe in Ecuador. It's for every person who's going to call Jesus Christ as Lord. Why? Because the commission to the disciples right here in Acts 1, 7, and 8, to bring the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth was not just to them. It was to God's people. And so this is the question that we have to ask, I think, tonight. Why does the Holy Spirit matter? Why does the Holy Spirit matter? What, why, why did a helper even need to come? We understand here in this passage, and we're gonna go back here in just a second, like the disciples had understanding of who this Holy Spirit was. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit the week before he was betrayed or the week that he was betrayed. But, but we're sitting here, why, why does the person, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit matter? Now, when I say Holy Spirit, there's a lot of images that might come up in your mind right now. Oftentimes we kind of come to church and we grow up talking about this Holy Spirit and we kind of have this idea of like, yeah, we say like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father makes sense. He created the world. Christ the Son makes sense. Jesus, Holy Spirit. Is this like Casper, the friendly ghost of God, traveling around the world, sprinkling fairy? To that would be Tinkerbell. Same thing, though. <laughs> like, is that what the Holy Spirit does? Like, he's, he's kind of like floating around and he's going, ooh, there's an opportunity, healing. Ooh, there's an opportunity, boldness. Ooh, there's an opportunity, like faith. Like, is this what the Holy Spirit is? Is that, is that the function of the Holy Spirit to kind of function and just like make life happier here and there? No, no. It's not what the Holy Spirit does. He's a person, the very presence of God who has a very distinct function, distinct function. God the Father created the world. Christ the Son, he comes to save the world. The Holy Spirit comes 
to sustain that which Christ has come to redeem. And we actually see three functions given to the Holy Spirit by Jesus to his disciples in John 16. John 16, starting in verse 11, this is Jesus speaking. He says this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The helper is another name for the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict. If you have a Bible, I want you to underline that word. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So Jesus looks at his disciples and he's saying, look, I know that you're going to mourn because I'm going away, but I need you to hear me. If I don't go away, I can't send this helper, this helper that's going to come to you and to be with you. And this helper is going to have a, have a function. He's going to work to convict you. Another word that you can use here is convince. He's going to work to convince you. Have you ever tried to convince somebody of something in your life before? I feel like I spend my life convincing people to do things that they do not want to do. It worked with Mariah. She married me. She married me. I mean, like, I mean, like if I could define any person that I spend most of my life convincing to do things that she does not want to do, it would be my wife. Six years ago, we had this opportunity to go to Hawaii. It was very cool, very fun. We had a friend who was stationed at the base out there. So he said, hey, if you come out, just pay for the flights. I'll put you up in my apartment. Like, and, and I'll show you everything on Hawaii. You won't have to pay a dime. We were like, sweet. We still paid a lot of money, but it was still fun. We show up to this place. And, and this is about 30 days before we fly out to Hawaii. I'm like, Pablo, like, what are the good things that we can do out there? And he goes, I'll do the best thing ever, skydiving. I was like, really? That sounds fun. Now, my wife is a six on the Enneagram. If you don't know what the, that means, just, just, we'll just sum it up like here, like fear. <laughs> and by fear, I mean like worst case scenarios, like type fear to where it's like, she's like, like I could go walk out and get in the car and she's already seen 17 different ways I could die. <laughs> like, it's like funny, but it really is like a burden that she bears all the time. So I look at her and I go, babe, we're going to go skydiving. He looked at me and said, no, we're not. I said, like, babe, what do you mean? Like, like it's Hawaii. It's Hawaii. She's like, it's death. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, babe, like, like, and, and, and so, so I see like my project begin. I got 30 days, 30 days. I'm like, babe, do you want to be known as somebody who was just bold and adventurous and like fearless? Or do you want to be known as somebody who like played it safe? She's like, I want to be known as someone who didn't die. <laughs> and I'm like, that's great, but we're all going to die eventually. We're all going to die eventually. So like, like, it, I, I'm, I'm, like I'm convinced. I'm 100% I'm convinced we are going to get to heaven when we die. And there's going to be a moment where all of us human beings like share death stories. <laughs> Look at Steve Irwin. So how did you go? Stung by a stingray. That's pathetic. You spent your life like wrestling crocodiles and you died by a stingray. Like, it's like oh, oh, how'd you die? Oh, 
I got hit by a McDonald's truck. <laughs> That's gross. How'd you, I was, and, and, and I'm literally using this logic. Wouldn't you love to go to heaven? And if by chance you died from skydiving, you could say, skydiving in Hawaii. <laughs> like looking at the most beautiful view on earth, going at 125 miles an hour right to my face. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, no. She's like, no. And I'm like, babe, th- th- then, I, then I pull in the big guns. What do you want to tell our kids one day? when it comes to a moment where you know you could have skydived in Hawaii, but you didn't because of fear. At this point, I got the wheels turning. She's like, oh yeah, you're right. You're, I, I, what? No, no, I don't want to, I, I don't want to, like we won't have kids if I'm dead. You know, she starts going with that logic. 30 days, I am prodding this bear. Prodding this bear to the point where I go, I paid for it, I paid for it. $200 down the drain if you are not going to go skydiving. Do not waste this money. We are young. We are married. We are broke. Every penny needs to be utilized. She's like, all right. So the whole week leading into us going to Hawaii, she is not sleeping at night. She is terrified. She thinks I'm going to die. She's thinking we need to put a will together, which is kind of funny because we have no money to give anyway. But she's like, we're like in that moment. So we get, and I planned it perfectly. We landed in Hawaii the very next morning. The first thing we did, went to North Shore, got up in this plane. And we were going skydiving. Now in Hawaii, it's pretty cool. They kind of take you out about half a mile over the water and you jump out over the water and then they pull the chute and then they coast you back into land. It's pretty awesome. But we're heading up there and we're the last two in the plane. There's like a group of seven of us jumping with the back, back two in the plane and Mar- she's freaking out. She's on, she's on the verge of vomiting, but she doesn't want to vomit on her instructor. That would be gross. And so we're sitting there, we're kneeling and she puts her hand on my hand. And I put my hand on her hand. She puts her other hand on my hand. Then her instructor put his hand on her hand. Then my instructor put his hand on his hand. And we're all sitting there. And I don't think they were believers. We're just sitting there. And she's like, this could be the last moment with my husband. I want to hold his hand. And I asked my instructor, I said, hey, would you be willing to jump out of the plane backwards? Cause like, I'd like to jump out and do like backflips or something like that would be fun. And he was like, he was like, okay, yeah, sure. So we get up there. Last two in the plane. And instead of facing out, he turns me around just to look at my bride one last time. <laughs> and I'm just so excited. I'm like, if I die, it's going to be a good story in heaven. So I'm like, I, I just kind of look at her one more time, look of affection. And bye. Take off. <laughs> and as you can see, six years later, we are alive. We are alive. So much so, in fact, that we went and skydived the Grand Canyon this summer. We went and skydived, and it wasn't even my idea. Guess whose idea it was? She's bold. She's like a fearless lioness. I'm like, yeah, babe. The whole like 10 minutes before we're jumping, she's regretting it the whole time. She's peeing 17 times. Like, I spend my life convincing people to do things that I just want them to do, what, not knowing whether or not it really is the best thing for them. Went, <laughs> so true. <laughs> Victor's working for me right now. How do you guys think I got him to work for me right now? But here's the thing. Like when we think of convincing somebody to do something, it's always for our benefit, maybe not for their good. But when God is convincing us of something, it is always for his benefit and always 
for our good. Are you with me tonight? Always for his benefit, always for our good. And so what we see is what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? We see that he works to convince, to convince humanity of three things. Three things. The first one is this. He works to convince humanity or the world of sin. Everyone say sin. Sin. Because they do not believe in him. They do not believe in him. So the first function of the Holy Spirit is he's coming to tell the world that there is, there is this thing called sin. But I need you to hear me say he's not just going to tell them about sin. The function of the Holy Spirit is to convince people of sin. And so this is kind of hard to like dissect. So I kind of give you five sub points to help you understand what convincing the world of sin is. So the first point is this, that he wants to convince the world of the fact of sin. The fact of sin, that there actually, in fact, is something that separates humanity from their creator. That separates humanity from their creator. There's something that divides perfect creation from the perfect presence of their father. And that's the brokenness of sin. Point number two is the fault of sin. So sin divides us from the creator, but what does sin actually do to our hearts? It makes us have a sense of rebellion and opposition to God. I don't want your kingdom to come, your will to be done. I want my kingdom to come, my will to be done. It gives us an opposition. It's not just, a, it's not just oh, there's something that divides me from God. It's something that makes my heart hate God because I have to submit my life to God. Point number three, the filth of sin. The Holy Spirit is working to reveal to us that sin, in fact, taints the way that we live and we see the, wor the world in which God created, the filth of sin. So, so this, is, this is what that means. The Holy Spirit helps us see that racism is not the heart of God. That slavery, the idea of one oppressing another and leveraging the weakness of another person for the advantage of a person, in fact, isn't the way God created the world to be. When we look at, we look at the industry of pornography all across our country right now, human trafficking all across our country right now, a whole industry bent upon making a profit of objectifying the body of a woman or a man. The Holy Spirit helps us go, no, 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 no. I want, I want you to see the filth, the filth of sin. This sin affects the way that we live and the way that we see God's world in which God created it to be. Number four, it reveals to us, he reveals to us the fountain of sin. So when we look at lust, greed, unforgiveness, bitterness, hatred, envy, all of these things that come, he's going to say, you see what all of these things, that what sin produces is a heart that's constantly jealous of other people, an ego, a pride that seeks to always progress itself forward, even at the expense of other people, an unwillingness to let somebody move on from their mistake in your life. And unforgiveness. He goes, no, 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 no. This is what sin does. It just brings forth all of these things. And then finally, the Holy Spirit reveals to us the fruit of sin, which is death. And I'm not just talking physical death. I'm talking eternal separation from our Father, from our Creator. This is what sin works to do in 
our lives. And so the Holy Spirit's role is to come go, hey, there's actually another way. But in order for me to show you that other way, I need you to see how broken this actually is. And by this, I mean you. How broken you actually are. How, how, how much your heart is leveraged in rebellion and opposition to God and how filthy that makes your life and what comes out of that filth in your life and ultimately where that sin is going to lead you. So the Holy Spirit comes to say, hey, this is your reality. And this is why this is important. Because if you don't see your life as sinful, then you have no need for a savior. You with me? If you don't see your life as sinful, if you don't see yourself as a broken human being, then, then there's no point of good news for you. Your, your news is already good. You're like, I'm living my life. I'm doing my own thing. Well, this is why we have point number two. He doesn't just come to convince the world of sin. He comes to convince the world of righteousness. Everyone say righteousness. Righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. This is why he says that. He goes, look, okay, what your perception of righteousness is right now is me. When you think about what is right, what is wrong for the disciples, he's going, you look at me, but I'm leaving you. I am going to the Father, but don't worry, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit because he's going to convince you of what's right and what's wrong. Now, this is a big one because if we look at the world today, everybody has a different definition of what is right and what is wrong. Everybody has a different definition of what is righteous and what is unrighteous. And so what do we do? So we, we have people who kind of come and just go, you know, like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be a good person. And if you're, if you're a good person, just generally, then like, that's how you need to live life. Like live and just let live. And, 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 and that's the way it needs to be. But then what ends up happening is it only takes a matter of time before my perception of righteousness begins to confront your perception of righteousness. This is why we have political parties, right? Like, like, like let, let me give you like the in on what you're about to enter into over the next couple of years. You have people whose perception of righteousness would be that a woman has a right to her own body and she can do whatever she wants with that body despite the fact that she might have a child in that body. So she should be able to do whatever she wants with that child in her body because she has a right to her body. And that's some people's perception of righteousness. And you might have other people who say, no, that, 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 that human being that's inside her body has its own body and it has a right to live. It has the same rights that any human being should have a right to live. And you're going to have these two conflicting ideologies of what they think is right. No matter where you sit on either of those camps tonight, the point is we always have our own perceptions of what we think is right. This can happen where you might have one party say, you know what, we want to, uh, uh, we, we might want to close the borders and just completely stiff arm every foreigner and immigrant that we have in our country. We don't want to sin, we want to lock it down. And you might have the other end of the spectrum going, no, 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 let's go open borders and everybody come into the country and let's just kind of have a free for all where everybody does what they want. Who's right? Well, you know what conclusion we arrived at? Let's just say majority wins. Let's vote. Let's vote. And this is how we've come to try to discern what's right, what's wrong. And what Jesus is saying here is going, no, no, no. There is an absolute right and there's an absolute wrong. And you know who's gonna show you it? The person, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you know what the grid for it being right and for it being wrong is going to be? The person, the presence, the power of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus will always fight for those who do not have a voice for themselves, whether that be the foreigner or the unborn child. Our perception of righteousness doesn't even come close to God's perception of righteousness. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to go, hey, I'm going to teach you, my followers, how to be, let's put this quote up on here on the screen, Grady, how to be far less concerned with how you see the world. And the Holy Spirit's gonna help you become far more concerned with how God sees his world. And learning to submit to that perspective. Learning how to say, not my will, but your will be done. Are you with me tonight? He convinces the world of sin and then he shows the world what it looks like to be righteous. And that righteous is summed up in one name, Jesus Christ. And then number three, and right here, I can go ahead and invite the band to come back up. Number three, he convinces the world of judgment. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, this is where the kind of church message takes kind of a nasty turn and everybody kind of wants to shut off. I'm good with the whole Jesus thing. I'm good with it until you start talking about judgment. We start talking about kind of heaven and hell and how I need to live my life. And, and I just feel really judged when I come to church. And oh, here comes this word, judgment. And I want you to pay attention to the words that he uses right here. Jesus uses right here. Grady, let's put that verse up again. Verse 11. Verse 11, verse 11. You can do it, Grady. Come on, come on. Verse 11, the one that's supposed to be right after this. There we go, there we go. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. One thing that I want you to put your eyes on right there, because the ruler, ruler of this world is judged. So what is the Holy Spirit convincing us of? What's the Holy Spirit doing in this moment? He's convinced us of our sin, the brokenness of it, the filth of it, the fountain of it, the fruit of it, where it's gonna go to death. And he goes, ah, but there is another way. There is another way and his name is Jesus. He is what we would define as righteous. He is what is acceptable to God as a sacrifice for our brokenness. And so what, did, and what does he say here? He says he's going to convince the world of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Look at what he's saying. He's not saying, get your act together, or you're going to burn in hell. He's not saying that. He's saying, look at me. Hell is not for people who smoke. Hell is not for people who drink, who do drugs, who disobey their parents. Hell is not for people who have all of these sorts of addictions, this sexual immorality in their life. They're broke. Hell is for people who do not believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I need you to hear me. Hell doesn't just begin after death. It would be a living hell right now to not believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Think about it. If Jesus Christ is not Lord, if God has not come in the flesh to die for me, to give his life for me, so that when God looks at me, he would see me as righteous, what does that mean? It means that you're in charge of figuring out what the meaning to life is. It means that you have to be your own God. It means that you have to decide and you have to discern what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, what is righteous, what is evil. You're your own God. And God's going, that's hell. That's hell. 
for you to live in the world that I created for you, to be in relationship with me, and for you to live a life that wants nothing to do with me, means that you are choosing something lesser than what he has for you. What's he saying right here? Concerning judgment, he is, he is working to convince the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Who's, who's the ruler of the world? This is a reference to the enemy. This is a reference to Satan. What is he saying? He's going, look, this is what I'm telling you. This is what the Holy Spirit is here to convince you of. That the tomb is empty. That Jesus has rose from the dead and in his rising from the dead, he has conquered sin, death, and the grave. And so what does this mean for the people of God? It means that sin, brokenness, and death no longer have the final say. It means that your brokenness, your addiction, your pain, your suffering, it no longer has the final say. Jesus has given you a better way himself. So what we have the Holy Spirit primarily doing is convincing the world, <laughs> is convincing the world, yes, that we are broken and we are sinful, but he is convincing us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. <laughs> and that to receive him as Lord helps us realize that the enemy has no power, no authority, no death, no sting. Can you stand with me? I know we're a little bit late. Brothers and sisters, we're gonna walk through this book of Acts. We're gonna talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. Like, I need you to taste it, I need you to see it. He is the one who has the ability to give you new life. When you're like, I don't see the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, hear me, pay closer attention. That doesn't mean that he's not working. It just means you're not paying attention. There's something about this God that would pursue you right where you are tonight. No matter how you walked in these doors, no matter how you are walking into the school semester this year, you might be walking out of the summer going, I've just given up all my faith at this point. I don't wanna deal with it anymore. This God thing is too hard. It's so much easier just to do my own thing. Hear me plead with you. God is better. He's so much better than the life that you would choose to live for yourself. And he wants relationship with you. And when you go, how do I know? How do I know he wants relationship with me? He doesn't know how broken I am. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the things that I'm wrestling with. You don't know how long I've been wrestling with these thoughts in my mind. How do I know that this God wants relationship with me? I'll tell you, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, he inspired this word for men to give us an account of a God who got off his heavenly throne and came down to earth, the word becoming flesh. And he came and he lived and he didn't just live, he died for you. How do you know? Look at this cross that Scott and his team put together for us. That's our confirmation. That's our reminder. How do I know he wants a relationship with me? He's going, he's willing to go to death, hell, and a grave for you to know, for you to be convinced. 
that he wants relationship with you. So that being said, can you open your hands with me? I wanna say this prayer, Grady, if we have the prayer of confession, if you could put it up, that would be great. I think it's important to, to start the school year with going, okay, not my will, but your will be done. God, convince me. Holy Spirit, convince me of where I have turned my heart away from you and show me the better way of Jesus Christ. And that begins with humility. It begins with humility. Us getting on our knees, beating our chest, as the tax collector does in Jesus' story in Luke 18, saying, be merciful to me. It starts with humility. Jesus can work with that. So that being said, with hands open, if, if you have the faith to pray this prayer, I want you to pray it with me and then the team's gonna lead us into this song. But the, the, the walk of faith is, it's a walk of response. It's us responding to what God has done for us. And this is what we do. We say, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Brothers and sisters, let's worship. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.